Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm Greg, joined as always by Jacob. Hello. And today we're going to be reviewing the castles of Mad King Ludwig. But first, let's take a look at what we've been playing. Yeah, so I haven't been playing all too many board games lately. Yeah, you were pretty late to gamers because you were working on our uh, our bloopers video. Hint, hint, take a look. Yeah, nudge, nudge, <laughs> wink, wink. Uh, up on YouTube right now. Give us a subscribe and a like. Awesome. But yeah, you actually did get to play a few games before I got there then. I did, yeah. So we started off the night with Forbidden Island, which is, you know, similar to Pandemic, Forbidden Desert, all that sort of punishing, increase and intensify mechanic type of games. I personally find Forbidden Island to be easier than uh, Forbidden Desert, so well, I like... it empirically is. Well, right, yeah. So thank you for validating my opinion. <laughs> so I, I prefer it, and I, I picked it because it was quick, and we were just looking for, for something to go. Um, the Interesting. first game that we played, we scooped after two turns because we hit all three of the Water Rises cards... In the first two turns. So that that didn't, you know, that didn't bode well for us. But we actually were able to pull the second game out. We had a pretty solid team. We had a pilot, a diver, and uh, I was the engineer who can shore up two tiles for one action. So that went pretty well, and that was a lot of fun. And then after that, we played five tribes. We didn't play with artisans because gamers doesn't actually have artisans. But we did play the base game, and so that was fun. I tried to execute a gin-heavy strategy, um, but it didn't work out for me very well. Someone else bought the first gin that I had my eye on, which is the one that gives you money every time someone buys a gin. <laughs> so he got a whole bunch of money because I just doubled down. I was like, okay, well, I'm still going to do this. Um, and I ended up with the most viziers and also the most elders, but I just couldn't compete with the strategies that they had going on, which was a a trade goods strategy and then just a sheer territory control strategy so but it was fun to play again always always a good game kind of makes you think in some sort of abstract ways you know you got to look at not just okay where can i go that's going to give me a good play but kind of thinking about optimizing what's going to give me the most points and how much am i willing to bid for that that sort of thing so that was fun as a sort of a, a way to flex my brain so yeah, it's always a lot of fun. I, I definitely like Five Tribes. Haven't played it in a while, but should bring it to the table again at some point. Yeah, but yeah, so that was what I played beforehand, and then you arrived, and we actually got to play a game of Castles. Yes. Um, so that was good. That was, I think, the third game for me. Something like that. Which, you know, reviewing after three games, some people might think I'm unqualified, but I think we'll be okay. Yeah. And then today, before reviewing, we had a chance to play... Sherwood's Legacy? Yes, Sherwood's Legacy. I always want to say Sherlock. (laughs) That's not right. Which is our first time playing it. I think you got it, what, just a couple weeks ago? I got it actually a few months ago. No, actually it was even sooner than that. I think it was only like about a month ago or so. It finally came. It was a Kickstarter, one of those that took about a year or more than it was supposed to take. Womp womp. So, but finally got it. I mean, I met the guys from Linvander way back when I went to Origins. Like back when I went to Origins in, uh, what was this, that 2015. 2015? That's yeah. a ways back. That, that's when I backed the Kickstarter. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, wow, yeah, that is a long time to delivery. Yep. I got their other game, which is Albion's Legacy. 
and oh, okay. I got that a while ago. I have not brought it to table because there was a whole snafu with that game about uh, the production values and that kind of stuff. The first people they got got it uh, it produced from were crap, and like the production value of the game itself was not very good. Mm-hmm. So then they resent like a new second edition version to, to like everyone who bought the Kickstarter, which is really nice of them. It's you know greater than that they sent it for free. Yeah, for real. Uh, I did back their like supplemental project to give them a little bit of money and that kind of stuff and i also got a um an expansion out of it so that was good but i haven't brought it to the table i don't know i haven't been interested enough in that game since it got here it happens just... you have a very large library some things are going to fall by the wayside yeah but sure was legacy when i got here and like you know we looked at the back and it was a tower defense board game yeah and that was intriguing it was extremely intriguing it was the kind of thing where i was just like i could see myself trying to play this and like enjoy it let's let's figure it out so we finally brought it to the table today mm-hmm. and well the concept is great yeah oh for for sure and even like the mechanics of the game itself are very interesting and pretty well done it's just that there's so many rule ambiguities yeah yeah it's it's when you have a game like this where you're essentially people cooperating against a pre-programmed AI, you know, mm-hmm. you think of a tower defense game. You've got enemies just running through the lane, but you also have to have program in specific behaviors. You know, which lane do they follow? If the towers are attackable, when do they attack? Those sorts of things. And so in order to pull something like this off successfully, you really just need a high degree of precision yeah. in your language. You know, you have to say... These are the explicit conditions under which this, this, and this happens. These are the, the, you know, verbiage that we use consistently for this thing. And this specific phrase means this one thing. And they didn't quite pull that off. We had, um, with sort of the, the big boss character in particular, the Sheriff of Nottingham, there are three places, two times in the rulebook and then one time on a summary card, that describe his abilities each of those descriptions is different, includes different information, and sometimes conflicting information. So it's just, it kind of suffers from from not being legalistic enough. Very much so. And it, it, it happened throughout the entire game. It's like, when you have a tower with a villager and there's a an enemy coming by it and attacking it, well, does he just attack the villager? Does he attack the tower? Does he attack both? Do both of them get hit with one attack? Like, what happens? And none of this is ever really explained. And that really took away from the game a lot because the idea and like the way that things moved around, that kind of stuff, yeah, it works. But we just had no idea what to do in many of these cases, and it took us... You know, discussing as like, okay, what exactly is this saying? Or like, you know, this is saying this thing, this is saying this other thing. Which one of these should I go for? And then the other issue with it that I had was, this is a cooperative game that we won pretty easily. Yeah, we played with your roommate, uh, and he pointed out as we were packing up the game that the only turn on which we ended with an unkilled enemy was the time that we deliberately chose not to kill an enemy in an attempt to control the next stage's spawn. Like, 
Yeah. And it just, it was underwhelming. You know, like you, mm-hmm. you kind of want to feel overwhelmed in a situation like that. And they do sort of have some elements of scaling with the Doom cards that come out every basically third of the game. Mm-hmm. And maybe you could say that we just got lucky with those. Because, I mean, certainly with the last one that we drew and then possibly even with the second out of three, you know, those those could have made the difficulty scale up quite a bit more. Mm-hmm. But even then, I don't know that it would have been enough to really be the challenge that we were looking for. Exactly. It didn't feel like we were at all being pushed. It was just, we're here, I guess. Let's see, how many arrows do we want to use? Like, we're still going to get a ton next turn anyway, so it doesn't really matter. My own character didn't move from a single spot for most of the game. Right. And ended up not killing anything because I was the support character. Yeah, even going into character selection, I said, like, oh, I don't know if we want to do a support character in a three-player game because... I was envisioning that we would need, you know, sort of an all hands on deck, everybody needs to be fighting situation, but we I we absolutely didn't. The the support character was great because it meant that we had one character who didn't take any bounty penalties, which you get when you kill an enemy and they reduce mm-hmm. the sort of functionality of your character. We had one person who didn't get any of those, so they were able to just boom 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 utility all the time. And the fact that we had that freedom, I think speaks a lot about some of the difficulties with establishing a correct difficulty in the game. Yeah, I completely agree. And we even played with what is supposed to be like the more difficult variant, which has the bounties. So all in all, not extremely impressive, but you know, we'll likely play it again, see what we think, and then give it a review. Yeah, yeah, we'll probably talk about it in more detail. So be on the lookout for that. Yeah. All right, well, that's what we've been playing. And now, let's make our grand vision a reality with our review of Castles of Mad King Ludwig. So, Castles of Mad King Ludwig, a game about being the architect for the eponymous Mad King Ludwig of Bavaria. Right. I think, first of all, one of my favorite parts of this game is the fact that Mad King Ludwig was a real person. He was the guy who commissioned the legendary castle of Neuschwanstein. He commissioned two other castles that are equally fanciful. And just the fact that you can take this source material that doesn't seem like it would lend itself to the creation of a board game and turn it into something so fun is really, really cool. So getting that out of the way to start with. I agree completely. It's a really cool theme and the gameplay is there to match. So let's talk about how this is played. The goal of the game is to build a castle that will most appeal to the Mad King. And by that, that means that you're going to build a castle which scores you the most points. Right. Because let's face it, it's still a board game. Yeah, exactly. This is still points. And the way that you do that is by adding rooms to your castle. You start with... In the base game, a foyer, and in the expansion with uh, with the moats, you start with the barbican, and each of these has three exits. The barbican actually has one outdoor exit, but you take rooms that you buy, and you place them connecting to the doors, and it has to be a door-to-door placement, and the rooms themselves are very interesting because you have eight different types of rooms. And each of them is a little bit different. 
And you also have a few different, I believe it's also eight or ten different. Ten, I think ten, maybe twelve even. Yeah, something ten, between ten and twelve different shapes of rooms. And each of these is valued by at their surface area. So like, it's like, you know, oh, this is a 100 room, meaning that it's a surface area 100. And it doesn't mean that, you know, the 100 is worse than the 600 at all. It's just, they just have the different sizes. And because they have different sizes and different shapes, it's really interesting trying to put them all together. Yeah, you know, definitely. You have to try to like you know piece and make sure that this door matches this other door in order to you know connect the rooms and all that kind of stuff. You don't just get these rooms, and you don't just get to like choose from the pile and draw the rooms and that kind of stuff. Instead, the way that getting rooms works is through a sort of modified bidding mechanic almost where one person is the master builder for that turn and they get to place the rooms along a track that shows how much each room is going to cost so they're trying to space out the rooms so they're not you know having people buy the cheapest rooms and the interesting part there is because they get paid for those rooms so if I'm the master builder first and Greg wants to buy a room he has to pay me. But then at the end of the round, when I actually get buy a room, which happens after everyone else gets to buy them, so you can't just you know put your the room that you want at 1,000 <laughs> and, and then be like, I'm just going to buy this right now. Boom, okay, it's mine. That wouldn't be fair. So you have to go around, you're the last one to buy, and then you pay the actual bank. Right. And the the reason for this is actually very important because without paying the master builder, you just take too much money out of circulation. You know, there's rooms that cost up to 15,000 marks. And if everyone was paying the bank every single time, you just, there wouldn't be enough money in the game to go around and purchase those expensive buildings unless, you know, more than once, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so it's actually really important from a gameplay standpoint, but it's also really important from a strategic standpoint because, you know, you can, as the master builder, afford to put a room up at, you know, 12, 15,000, and one of two things is going to happen. Either someone really, really wants it, they're going to pay through the nose to get it, at which point, cool, I have a bunch of money to spend now. Or even if no one else buys it, they're all paying you money for the things that they do buy, which means by the time your turn to purchase comes around, even if you didn't start your turn with that much money, there's a good chance you're going to be able to buy whatever it is you set up at that that high sort of thing so going last does require some forethought but it's not necessarily a drawback it's just a balancing mechanic and one that you can exploit if you know what you're doing exactly and this is pretty much the only game that i've seen that has this kind of mechanic yeah i couldn't think of another one and i really love the elegant way that it is put together because it's like you have the rooms and you're, you're placing them where you want them. But like Greg said, like you, you want to place yours high, but not high enough so that no one takes it and that kind of stuff. And then there are other considerations. You look at someone that, hey, no one else has any kind of uh, lower level rooms that they can uh, buy. And I can put these at the very lowest ones because no one can take them legally because you have to place it immediately. So they're safe. So then the minimum that anyone has to pay is a certain amount. Mm-hmm. So it definitely adds a lot of strategy, a lot of strategic considerations to the actual game. Um, and I really enjoy that. Yeah, it's a great mechanic. But then also, 
talking about the the sort of rooms themselves, you know, these are the the most important elements of this game. The rooms themselves have lots of interesting features. So you mentioned the size, they have different shapes, but there's also different types. And you kind of mentioned it, that there's eight different types, each of which has certain qualities about it, the most important of which is the completion bonus. So as we mentioned, you place rooms entrance to entrance. And if at any point you place a room in such a way that all of the entrances of any room, including the one that you just placed, are matched up with another entrance, not importantly facing into a wall, but matched up with another entrance, you get a room completion bonus for that room. And these can be huge. So on the one hand, you've got some like activity rooms, outdoor rooms that just give you straight away a lump sum. In activity rooms, it's points. For outdoor rooms, you just take 10,000 marks. But then there's also some sort of really interesting, unique ones like utility rooms that allow you to take bonus cards, which you can score points with at the end of the game. Sleeping rooms, which allow you to take tiles from an actual stack of physical tiles and put them on top of the deck of cards that's flipped in order to normally determine which tiles come out to play next turn. So if you're hunting for something of a particular size, of a particular shape, you can sort of predetermine those sorts of things. So the room completion bonuses are very, very versatile and very important in terms of successfully executing a high-value castle. Yeah, and the rooms also have one other feature, and that is the adjacency bonuses. So most of the rooms are going to actually gain value if they're next to certain other kinds of rooms. So you might have a living room that gets a bonus of two points for every sleeping room that it's next to. So when you place it next to a sleeping room, you immediately get the points for the room and the points for the bonus. But then once you place the other sleeping rooms around it... And this is very important. You will also get that bonus. Yes, scoring is retroactive, which we only recently discovered. (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, But yeah, so the the adjacency bonuses are very, very powerful, and um, the completion bonus for living rooms, actually, is that you score all of the points for that room, again, as if you had placed it fresh. So in addition to retroactively scoring points for, in this example, uh, sleeping rooms placed adjacent, if you complete that living room bam, you get the points for itself, plus all of those adjacency bonuses a second time. So that's very powerful. Yeah. And then you have the downstairs rooms, which are a lot more costly just because you have to actually spend a turn building a staircase down to the bottom level so that you can even build them. But they give castle-wide bonuses. So... These are things that, you know, you get a static bonus of, let's say, two points per every activity room that you have in your castle. And so, first of all, for every activity room that you already have in the castle, you score those points. And then every time you place another activity room in your castle, you get two extra points to do it automatically. So, that is a really, really nice global bonus. Absolutely. It does take a little bit, you know, maneuvering to actually place it in your castle, but it can be very much worth it in the end. Definitely. So you've got the the different types, the different completion bonuses, all those sorts of things. But then there's also some expansion mechanics that were released in what I believe is called Secrets of Mad King Ludwig Mm -hmm. um, that change how the game is played in little ways. 
One of those is swan tokens. Swans were very important to King Ludwig historically. I don't know the exact story, but there's a reason that they're swans. It's not just arbitrary. And swan tokens allow you to trade in for either money during the game or points at the end of the game. Mm -hmm. um, there's secret passages, which allow you to connect rooms in order to either double the uh, adjacency bonus or actually most activity rooms have a wall-to-wall -wall penalty. The idea being activity rooms cause lots of noise. Therefore, if they're next to, for example, a sleeping chamber, you're going to lose points because what sort of king wants to be kept up by an oboe at midnight? Yeah, exactly. But if you connect it with a secret passage, that penalty is negated. So secret passage is very useful for uh, placement and also kind of changing the, the direction of how your rooms can be placed. And then finally, one of probably the most defining features of this expansion are moats. And moats are something that you can build around the outside of your castle, appropriately, that give you bonuses very similar to downstairs rooms for every type of building in your castle, but they obviously sort of circumscribe how your castle can be built. You know, you can't build a big far-ranging thing with huge rooms and mm -hmm. lots of outdoor rooms if you've got a moat around it. But I really do like this because it seems to me like before the expansion came out, there would have been one strategy. Build the biggest, most valuable rooms, the sprawlingest castle that you possibly could, and just rack up big points that way. Whereas moats are something that really makes smaller, tightly focused, well-constructed castles more viable because mm -hmm. each room is going to count for up to three points more just from the moat itself. So in terms of coming up with a multi-strategy, multi-faceted sort of game, I absolutely love what the expansion does with moats. It makes it really interesting, and they are quite powerful because, like you said, once you complete the moat all the way around, each room that you place inside there is worth three extra points. And this is where most rooms are, you know, worth normally like between one and four points, except for the really big ones, which can be worth up to six. So it's a quite a big bonus if you just start place, finishing the moat and then you start placing all the small or whatever cheap rooms you can and immediately like you know you might they might only be worth one point at one place but then you know your thing brings it up to four or like you know you place a bigger room you manage to do that and it goes up to you know seven eight uh so it's definitely a very interesting mechanic and I really enjoyed playing it with it so far. Yeah, it seems like it's been pretty great. So that was a pretty broad discussion of how the mechanics work. But then also in terms of, of gameplay and game feel and how everything kind of fits together, I really appreciate this game. On the one hand, this the most obvious, fitting things together in ways that are similar to a puzzle really appeals to me. You know, I, I like having an orderly sort of castle um, which is probably part of the reason that I also like moats. But so that's a lot of fun and very satisfying. But then also the fact that you're designing a castle in sort of bits and pieces using not necessarily the rooms that you would choose right from the get-go, but just the rooms that become available to you makes it feel like you're designing a castle, a mad castle for a mad king. You know, it's it's this sort of piecemeal, hard scrabble thing that you just throw together and eventually oh hey look it's worth 90 points like the gameplay absolutely fits the theme 
in yeah. my opinion. And also uh, along with that, you know, you're trying to please the king. And so he has these favors as well. And those are almost like public goals of, you know, have the most square footage of this type of room, have the most number of these types of rooms. And they, get all, they all get shuffled every game and you have different ones each time. And some of them are very interesting. I was pretty surprised when last time we played, we had courtyards, which I, is something that was part of the expansion, which meant that it was a space that was surrounded by walls, but had at least one entrance. And it had to be in, completely enclosed. And so it was just a really interesting twist on things because normally you just want to, you know, close each entrance. But now it's saying like, no, you know, you, you want to have that open. You want to do this this way and that kind of stuff. And so that's just a very interesting twist. And then, you know, depending on what comes out, it, last time we had one person who managed to hoard just about every single one of the parks <laughs> and the outdoor rooms. Yeah, he definitely did. So he won handily on the whole outdoor room part, but then... Yeah, you know, we had different other ones that that like you know, I got the square rooms because the ca- the king wanted lots of square rooms. Right. So therefore, I built him lots of square rooms. Yeah, and so it, it adds to that theme. Yeah, very much so. The sort of rotating scoring mechanics, something similar to what you would see in like Kingdom Builder. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels thematically relevant because oh, absolutely, the Mad King is just going to say arbitrarily like, oh, I want these today, or no, I would love some parks. Like, you know, it it fits with the theme, and I love it. But as much as I can sing its praises, no game is perfect. So let's talk about what we don't like. So this is something that has been bugging me since I got the game. This game came with no insert and no backs. For a game that has this many fiddly bits and pieces, that is inexcusable like there's just no way i i don't know what they were thinking at bezier uh that they didn't put even a single bag in the game box i literally have just an open nothing in it game box for uh for all the pieces and just to put this in perspective there of each type of room there are at least i think eight or nine of each of the 10 to 12 different types of room so all of these get jumbled up into this whole uh, whole thing. Then you also have coins and also the, uh, the little markers and other things like that. whole bunch of cardboard just tossed into this box. Yeah. It is impossible to keep it organized if you don't have your own little baggies. So that is not even just bad. That is just complete negligence on the part, uh, on the part of the uh, actual designers and the people who made the box. Right. That is just inexcusable. A lot of the other sorts of qualms that we have with the game have similarly to do with the organization, the presentation, the rules, for one. The layout of them is slightly confusing. It's not a booklet form. It's a trifold form. And the way that they proceed through some of the things, you know, when they cover placement, when they cover scoring, leaves a little bit to be desired. Obviously, if you spend enough time staring at the rules, you will get there eventually. Um, but it could just be more, more straightforward. And then also there's some difficulty in terms of getting used to the master builder mechanic for people who are used to always paying the bank or for people who are used to first player designating something in particular. That can be a little bit tough to to kind of capture. And obviously it's built into the game. It's a very important mechanic and a little bit of a difficulty curve is to be expected. But in terms of making a recommendation about the game, 
it is something to look out for. That's a little bit of the of the problems that we have with it. But overall, very good game. I have no problems giving this a buy it. I think obviously, as with any game, you kind of have to know your group. If your group doesn't enjoy thinking in these sorts of spatial ways, if your group prefers games with more interaction, that's one thing that we didn't talk about, is that there is almost no direct player interaction. You know, you can't sabotage anyone else's castle. The most you can do is take a room that you think someone else has their eye on. But so if your group prefers those things, obviously this may not be for you, but in terms of just a general recommendation, plus my personal tastes, absolutely a buy it. I'll echo that. This is one of those games that I've really enjoyed throughout the years. I've had it for a while now, and I've been playing it incorrectly for a while now, but finally <laughs> learned how to play it correctly. We got there. And when I did, I just it just confirmed how much I enjoy the game. It has the great spatial aspect. The whole master builder thing is so much fun. I love trust trying to you know look at other people's castles and guess you know oh well he seems to be wanting to go for this and hmm he has about you know twelve thousand marks or something like that. I'll put this at eight. He'll he might bite for that or something like that. And so. It has that little bit of a like, guess what your other players are doing, as well as trying to complete your own castle. And I just really, really enjoy it. So along with that, let's talk about some games that are a bit similar or have similar kinds of mechanics. The first one that I wanted to mention is Quadropolis. Uh, Quadropolis is a game in which you are pretty much building your part of the city. And as you can think of in these kinds of games, a lot of placement is important. But one of the interesting things about Quadropolis is how you get the actual pieces to put into your city. So whereas Ludwig has the whole master builder and you're you're trying to uh, build, put them on the track and that kind of stuff and and pay for however much or whatever level it's at, Quadropolis has an also, also very interesting mechanic in which you take your engineers and they, they're each numbered from one to four and you place them on a row or column and you take from that row or column the fourth or you know whatever number it is of the tile. And huh. that's just yours and you then place it. And you also have to place it on a place that has that number. So if you take it from the four, you also have to place it on the four on your board. And the interesting part about this is that also wherever the last person took from, the, uh, this pawn goes there. And then no one can take from that row or column until someone else takes from somewhere else. Oh, wow. So it's that kind of thing where it's both strategically taking something and also at the same time blocking someone else from taking something. So it's got that really interesting mechanic, and I think it could be very much comparable to Castles. Another game that we sort of think fits in the same theme that you should check out either if you like Castles or should check out Castles if you like this is Between Two Cities. Uh, it has a lot of similarity in terms of uh, obviously placing tiles that represent various rooms or buildings, as the case may be, but components of a larger machine. So when you've got tiles that you're placing in between two cities, you're working with imperfect information. You know, you don't know what's going to come up next. You just know that you're trying to optimize your vision for this particular city with what you have now. And so you see that a lot with the, you know, the way that you execute the parks, obviously trying to get rows of residential areas or shops rather rows of shops and that very much mirrors what you find in castles of mad king ludwig where you're placing a room not knowing 
you know, whether you're going to get the particular types of things that give adjacency bonuses, or even whether or not you're going to get a completion bonus for that room. So sort of a progressive building situation. Check out Between Two Cities if you enjoy castles. Obviously, there are some differences in terms of cooperation between two players, semi-cooperation between two players that give it some uniqueness, but we think that there's a lot there and that you should definitely check it out. Yeah, and then the last one is one that I played pretty recently for the first time, and that is Da Vinci's Challenge. And this one is mostly about the whole spatial aspect and trying to place and make shapes and that kind of thing. And it has that similar kind of thing with uh, Mad King Ludwig where you really have to know like where things are going and how things will fit together. And also sort of the whole trying to hide what you're doing from other players so that they're not blocking you and like buying what you need or putting what you need at a very high price. So it's also got a little bit of a comparison there. If you like want something a bit more abstract with the whole placement and spatial aspect, definitely check out Da Vinci's Challenge. And there you have it. That's our review of Castles of Mad King Lou. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Dragon's Demise. I'd like to remind you that WashingtonCon tickets are currently on sale. Washington's own home-brewed gaming convention is going to be here on September 9th and 10th in the Georgetown Convention Center. Definitely take a look online, get some tickets, and join us there. There are going to be a lot of really cool things going on, panels, special guests, and other really cool things. So we highly recommend getting tickets ahead of time. Also, join us next week when we will be reviewing Sherwood's Legacy.